the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Over the past years, the human microbiome has been dramatically altered. Chemicals in our environment, overexposure to antibiotics, and industrialized food have created changes that pose silent dangers for health. According to today's guest, Dr. William Davis, we desperately need to reintroduce our bodies to the microbial species that once lived in our ancestors, while pushing back the army of interlopers that have taken their place. Dr. Davis is here today to talk about how we can reprogram our microbiome to improve our health. Dr. Davis is a cardiologist and author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Wheat Belly. His new book is Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. Welcome, Dr. Davis. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Joe. Glad to be here. So, Doctor, let's begin by talking about a person's microbiome. What is it and why is it so important to health? So the microbiome, especially the intestinal microbiome, Joan, is the collection of microbes, bacteria, fungi, and other creatures that are supposed to live mostly in the colon, that is the large bowel, four or five feet, way, way down the GI tract. And we didn't know for many years that these microbes do good things for us. They provide very important functions. In fact, we kind of ignored them. We throw bombs at them in the form of antibiotics, kill them off have a couple of weeks of diarrhea, and that was the end of the, of the story. But that's not true. These microbes play central roles in all aspects of health, from the internal dialogue you have with yourself, to your blood sugar, to your blood pressure, to whether or not you're going to age faster or slower, to gastrointestinal issues like ulcerative colitis. It plays a role in just about every aspect of human health. I mentioned a few things in the introduction, being environment, antibiotics. What are the things that are making these changes in our body? All sorts of things. So most people by age 40 have taken 30 courses of antibiotics. There are 800 prescriptions for antibiotics written every year for every 1,000 people. So we're flooded with antibiotics, most of which are prescribed inappropriately for non-bacterial infections. But there's a lot more than that. There's other drugs like stomach acid blocking drugs, statin cholesterol drugs, the anti-inflammatory drugs like naproxen and ibuprofen, antidepressants. These all impact the microbiome. Food additives uh, in salad dressings and ice cream impact the microbiome. Synthetic sweeteners. Uh, in other words, we're, we're swimming in a sea of factors that disrupt the human microbiome. And among the changes is that we've lost important species, very important species that provided important functions to the human body, and in their place, unhealthy stool microbes largely have proliferated and in many cases have ascended up into the small bowel where they're not supposed to be. Doctor, what health problems are the result of these types of changes? So the list of health changes, health problems associated with these two changes, the loss of important species and the proliferation of unhealthy species, affects just about all aspects of health and triggers or worsens numerous health conditions, including type 2 diabetes, autoimmune diseases, obesity, overweight, high blood pressure, coronary disease, depression, 
neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease. Uh, name, name a condition in the modern world that's common and chronic among modern people, and you are putting your finger on a microbiome cause. Now, the, the reason why this is becoming a new insight is only recently was it discovered that when you have microbes, especially when the microbes have ascended and occupy the entire 30 feet of GI tract, 30 feet of microbes, trillions of them, they don't live for decades. They only live for hours, sometimes only minutes. So there's huge and rapid turnover of trillions of microbes. When they die, and billions die every second, they release their byproducts, their breakdown products, some of which gets into the bloodstream. That's a very important process called endotoxemia, uh, discovered by a uh, European group in 2007. Well, that tells us, it explains how microbes in the GI tract can export their effects to the skin as rosacea or psoriasis or acne to the brain as depression or uh, Alzheimer's dementia to the joints and muscle as fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis. In other words, we need now reconsider all human disease in light of this finding. If so many of our health issues are caused by an unhealthy gut, wouldn't that be the place to start looking for the cause of problems when you go to a doctor? Joan, you're absolutely right. The doctor should always think about, well, the doctor should always think about nutrition, right? And nutrients lacking in modern life, like magnesium, say, because we drink filtered water, we have to. We can't drink from a river or stream. It's got sewage. It's got herbicide, pesticide runoff. So we have to filter our water, but water filtration removes all magnesium. We don't get enough vitamin D because we live in northern climates often. We wear clothes. Many of us work indoors. And we lose the capacity to activate vitamin D in the skin as we get older, especially over age 40. The doctor should be an expert in nutrition because it's so important. He or she should be expert in these nutrients that we lack in modern life. They should be experts in the microbiome. But you and I and your listeners know they're not. Unfortunately, my colleagues have abdicated their responsibility to provide health because they're too busy providing pharmaceuticals and procedures. And so the last, sadly, I I wish I couldn't, I I didn't have to say this, Joan, the last person you want to consult on how to remanage your microbiome is the doctor. It's so shocking to hear you say that. And one hand, it's shocking because you shouldn't be saying it. On the other hand, I'm, I'm not surprised by you saying it because I see so much of what's been going on through the pandemic. And, you know, when we're trying to fight off any type of virus or bacteria, everything begins with our immune system, our immune health. And the gut is so related to the function of our immune system. Right. So there's many things people can do to augment their immune response. Vitamin D, a big player in augmenting your immune response. We all should be getting our vitamin D up to a good level. I, we aim for, when you check a blood level, 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter, which means most of us have to take about five or 6,000 units per day in an oil-based gel cap form. But there's more you can do. You can, for instance, replace a microbe called lactobacillus casei. Uh, it, the strain is called Sharona. One of the things we have to do when we play with microbes, we have to pay attention to the strain. To, to illustrate, we, you and I have E. coli in our guts. Your listeners have E. coli. But what if you ate lettuce contaminated by cow manure? Uh, well, you can die of that E. coli. Same species, different strains. So we have to pay attention to strain. Well, there's a strain of Lactobacillus casei, C-A-S-E-I, called the Shirota strain. It's from Japan, S-H-I-R-O-T-A. It's available as a commercial product, kind of a terrible product to be honest, but it's called Yakult, Y-A-K-U-L-T. It's a sugary gym milk drink with only a few microbes, has a low count of microbes, only about 6.5 billion. It sounds like a lot, but microbes, not that much. So one of the things we do is we make yogurt out of it uh, or other food. It doesn't have to be dairy, but yogurt's very easy to make. But we, ex- we ferment it for an extended period, in this case, 36 hours. You get hundreds of billions of microbes that way. You increase the numbers a hundredfold, huge amounts of bacteria. That's how we get these big, meaningful effects. We make a yogurt out of it. You consume the yogurt, and by doing that, you cut your the, the likelihood of getting a respiratory viral illness by 50%. And if you do get a respiratory viral illness, it's abbreviated by half. So a huge augmentation of the immune response. And so if you ignore all this, you have an impaired immune response. Another great microbe to play with is my favorite microbe in the world, 
Lactobacillus reuteri, R-E-U-T-E-R-I, named after the German scientist who discovered it, Gerhard Reuter, replace this microbe likewise, a big boost in your immune response, but also a smoothing of skin wrinkles because there's an explosion of dermal collagen. You regain lost muscle, muscle and strength. You, your sleep is much deeper. Your appetite is turned off. You can walk past that plate of donuts at the office, no problem at all. And because this one microbe, lactobacillus reuteri, works by telling your brain to release the hormone oxytocin, you feel, people say things like, I, I feel closer to my spouse. I like my family better. They, they're less irritating to me. I like my coworkers better. I desire the company of other people because of this boost in oxytocin. So in addition to the immunity, you can, these are huge effects. And this is, that's just two microbes, by the way. Mm-hmm. So doctor, if we want to improve the health of our gut, and, and we've been doing things that haven't been very healthy for many, many years, is it as simple as just starting to add in these good things, or do we need to clean it out first so that we can have maximum benefit? Excellent point. So by my estimation, one out of three Americans have this process of the overproliferation of microbes that many call small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, S-I-B-O, meaning that microbes that are supposed to stay in the, in the colon have proliferated, outmuscled healthy species, and then ascended up into the ileum, jejunum, duodenum, and stomach. So 30 feet, trillions of microbes uh, uh, turning over very, very rapidly. Well, that can be experienced, as, as I mentioned, as all kinds of diseases like fibromyalgia, irritable bowel syndrome, depression. Depression's a big one, by the way. High blood pressure, weight gain, uh, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune diseases. So that has to be addressed also. There's a number of ways to confirm this. Uh, there's, for instance, uh, testing you can do through your doctor. But to be honest, I wouldn't even bother. Most doctors don't know that, anything about the test for hydrogen gas and other gases. Microbes produce unusual gases like hydrogen and methane and some others. And these can be measured. And you can tell whether you have this process of overgrowth in your GI tract. Thankfully, there's a new consumer device called the AIRE device, A-I-R-E. It comes from a company called Food Marble. I have no relationship with them. And you can test it at home. Now, you don't have to test. You can also look for what I call telltale signs. Common signs of this overgrowth process are any of those diseases I mentioned, like fibromyalgia or irritable bowel syndrome, where it's virtually guaranteed you have this overgrowth. Or you can look for other signs, such as fat droplets in the toilet. Fat, that's fat malabsorption. Your, the, the bacteria that have, are living in your upper GI tract are blocking your pancreatic enzymes, and you can see fat droplets in the toilet. Another uh, common sign of, of this process of SIBO is intolerance to foods. This is a big one. People would say things like, I can't eat nightshades, like eggplant or tomatoes, or I can't eat FODMAPs, fibers and sugars, or I can't eat anything with fructose, like sugar, or I can't eat peanuts, or I can't eat nuts, or I can't eat foods that provoke histamine. These are all, almost all, not all, but nearly all, uh, representative of SIBO. So eliminating or avoiding that food is not a solution. It reduces symptoms temporarily, but you have to address the cause, which is the proliferation of microbes in the 30 feet of your GI tract. Because if you just eliminate the food and you feel a little better, you still have this process. And if it's not corrected, it leads to trouble long-term. It leads to all those problems. It leads to autoimmune diseases. It leads to diverticular disease, even lead to colon cancer. So you don't want to bury your head in the sand if you have some of these telltale signs. To improve our gut health on a daily basis, in, in general, what food should we be avoiding and what should we be eating? Well, because I wrote the Wheat Belly books too and saw just the magnificent changes in health and weight. Uh, I, I think that's a good place to start. Elimination of all wheat and grains and sugars, because they are uh, not just disruptive over overall health, it is also disruptive, massively disruptive over gastrointestinal health. That's a great start. We also replace those nutrients, the handful of nutrients that are lacking in modern life, such as magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil, vitamin D. And they have, when I wrote wheat though, I did not realize that those that handful of nutrients also have very important effects on gastrointestinal health. Vitamin D, for instance, augments the immune response in the intestinal lining. Omega-3 fatty acids 
uh, partially deactivate those bacterial breakdown products, the, the uh, endotoxin. So those basic supplements still play a role. Iodine, because so many modern people are deficient in iodine, and if you're even marginally deficient in iodine, it results in mild hypothyroidism, which slows down the activity of your gastrointestinal tract, and that's an invitation for proliferation of unhealthy species. So that's a start. All the basic things we've been talking about these last few years, they still count. But then you want to go back and address the microbiome specifically. And one of the things you want to do is, as a checklist in my super gut book, address the things that disrupt the microbiome in the first place. Minimize your exposure to antibiotics. There's a time and place when they're necessary, but try to minimize your exposure. For instance, if you have an upper viral, respiratory viral illness, that's not a good time for an antibiotic. So minimize exposure to antibiotics. Get off those other drugs that disrupt the microbiome. You may have to work with your doctor. Unfortunately, most doctors are good at putting people on drugs. They're terrible at taking people off drugs. You may have to find somebody in functional medicine uh, to help you get off or another integrative health practitioner. You want to filter your drinking water to remove the chlorine and fluoride. You want to gravitate as often as possible towards organic foods that lack herbicide, pesticide residues. You want to avoid the drugs like the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And so you want to take away all the things that disrupted the microbiome in the first place. And then we seed the microbiome. The most important sources of seed, that is healthy species, are fermented foods. You know, Joan, ever since refrigeration became a home device, refrigerators in 1927 uh, by the Frigidaire Company, many Americans abandoned the whole idea of fermented foods, even though our great-grandmothers made fermented foods all the time, they consumed fermented foods all the time, we need to return to those old habits and bring back fermented vegetables, kefirs, yogurts, uh, kimchi, fermented sauerkraut, because these provide important microbes and they reestablish order in your gastrointestinal tract. Very, very powerful strategy. People think that probiotics are the best solution. They're not. The current crop of probiotics are deeply flawed. They do play a role. They can be helpful, but they need to be improved. And slowly the industry is catching up. They're starting to add, uh, they're starting to make these products better. By doing such things, it's not just haphazardly putting together these microbes, but choosing microbes because they have very special properties, especially what are called keystone species. These are species that by reimplanting them in your GI tract, they allow the proliferation of other healthy species, very, very important, like plankton in the ocean. Without plankton, you wouldn't have whales or jellyfish. So probiotics are getting better. Uh, and then lastly, you feed the microbes with prebiotic fibers and other factors. Uh, and these come from foods like onions and garlic and shallots and legumes and root vegetables. These are very, very important because they also cause proliferation of healthy species and lead to, to the bacterial production of numerous metabolites that benefit you by reducing blood sugar, reducing fatty liver, giving you deeper dreams, giving you more healthy thoughts. And so there's a lot you can do. As you can tell, a lot of this does not come from the healthcare system. That's the bad news, that your doctor hardly knows anything about this. The good news is your listeners can take the reins themselves and reestablish a healthy microbiome. And that's so empowering because I think, you know, I was going to ask you because as a cardiologist, heart disease is such a, a killer of so many people. It impacts so many people and people don't think that they have any power against avoiding it. And so you have such an interest in gut health as a cardiologist. What is the relationship between the gut and the heart? You know, that connection is still very preliminary. The science is very preliminary, but it's looking like the microbiome, especially in the form of SIBO, the 30 feet of trillions of microbes, and the endotoxemia that comes from that, where breakdown products enter the bloodstream. It's looking as if those processes can be responsible for worsening and sometimes causing atrial fibrillation, which is a common uh, heart rhythm disorder, uh, hypertension, probably contributes to coronary disease, and probably cardiomyopathies, diseases of the heart muscle and heart failure. Now, this is all very preliminary. But you know what? There's no harm in addressing the microbiome and taking the reins for health. I should mention that when you have that problem of SIBO and endotoxemia, so sadly, the doctor likely will know nothing about it. If you said, hey, doc, I think I have SIBO. The doctor typically says, there's nothing wrong with you. 
don't waste my time, there's no such thing, even though there's thousands of studies documenting this, or did you consult Dr. Google again? So you don't get much help from the doctor. If he sends you to a gastroenterologist, the gastroenterologist, of course, says, Joan, we're going to do an upper endoscopy and a colonoscopy. You go through that rigmarole, and he says, good news. You don't have stomach cancer, you don't have colon cancer, goodbye. And you say, well, wait a minute. I came here because I had a question about SIBO. He says, don't waste my time. Did you consult Dr. Gu? All that stuff. The occasional better informed gastroenterologist will give you a prescription for an antibiotic called perfaximin, which is 40 to 60% effective. It's very expensive and doesn't, have, doesn't tell you anything about how you got it and how to prevent a very common recurrences, which are the rule. So my colleagues are not very helpful for the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, of course. There are functional medicine doctors, chiropractors, naturopaths who are pretty good at some of this stuff, but mainstream MDs typically are useless for this. There are also herbal antibiotics that have been, there are two regimens, candibactin regimen and the dysbiocyte FC-cytal regimen that have been shown to be uh, effective. But I'll tell you what, what I've been doing lately, and this is preliminary, only about 30 people have done this so far, but it's been about 90% effective. It's been superior to the antibiotic and to the herbal antibiotics. But, you know, if you and I take a probiotic, a commercial probiotic off the shelf for this SIBO process, it does not work. It might reduce bloating and diarrhea a little bit, but you're still left with the SIBO. So I asked a different set of questions. I asked, what if we choose species that take up residence in the small bowel? That's where SIBO is. And choose species that produce what are called bacteriocins. These are natural antibiotics that some species produce effective against the species of SIBO, like E. coli and salmonella. Well, I chose three a strain of Lactobacillus rotari, a strain of Lactobacillus gasseri, and another microbe called Bacillus coagulans. We make a yogurt out of it. Make a very, using very extended, prolonged fermentation, we have very high bacterial counts. We consume a half cup a day, it's delicious, by the way. And in 90% of people who've done this so far, preliminary, 30 people or so, they've normalized their SIBO, as evidenced by normalization of hydrogen gas production by that air device. So I think we're on to something that could be very, very helpful, accessible to the everyday person. It's not a drug. It's just yogurt. The book is Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Davis and his work, you can visit drdavisinfinitehealth.com. That's doctor with a D-R, drdavisinfinitehealth.com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? that we have to accept that virtually all modern people have done terrible harm to their microbiome, and it's time to take back control. And you know what? It's fun, it's inexpensive, and it yields extraordinary health effects. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. My pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Esther Pippoli, helps families navigate life's difficult moments. She's the owner and founder of Loss of Life Advocates, also known as Lola. Her company provides confidential concierge grief support to families, business owners, and employers, helping them navigate the operational side of loss. She is here today to discuss 
the top five things to do after losing a spouse. Welcome, Esther. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Esther, losing a spouse can be devastating, and often a person doesn't know where to begin in order to move forward. What are the top five things that need to be done after a loss? Oh, you know, um, because I've gone through this personally, I always kind of reflect back on what did I need to hear um, after just losing my husband. And as, as crazy as it sounds, it starts with just like the minute after. So I always tell people, stop and breathe. One, just reflect and take in the moment that you're going through with your spouse and your loved one. As scary and sad as it is, you'll never get that time back. So just take that moment for yourself and your family. You know, second, take account of all the things that are moving in your head. Many people start going into a panic mode. So really start thinking about what is it that's maybe making you scared, uncertain, um, and having questions about and write those down. Third, start reviewing your financials. I know that's really crazy to say right after somebody passes away, but look at what's going out and what's coming in. Was your loved one 100% the breadwinner? Were they 50%? Did they offer the benefits? You know, start looking at those things and writing those down as well. Or uh, review your legal documents. I know people always ask me, that's probably the number one thing they call the attorney. But really look back and read what was put down and the words that were put down and the wishes of your loved one before going to an attorney. They're going to walk you through that process of probate. Whether you have a will or not, you're going to need an attorney. So start with that, looking for those documents. And if you can't find them, then contact an attorney. And lastly, you know, remember that this is a time for you to have extreme confidentiality about your own personal um, items that are going on, your personal loss. So really have a tight circle of trust of friends that you trust that if something came up, you would not be embarrassed or ashamed of them finding out about. So having a really good closed circle of friends is something that's very important. Esther, you mentioned working with an attorney, but who are some of the other experts that should be part of the team? You know, your financial wealth managers, everybody thinks you have to have a lot of money to have an advisor, but you don't. You know, they're out there, whether it's um, a big firm um, or a little firm or just somebody that's a CPA, having that, that person that knows the financial numbers is going to be able to support you and guide you in making the right decisions. So you just mentioned having a close group of people that you can depend on. How important is that? It is so important because there are many times when a spouse passes away and whether they had their own business or they didn't have their own business, but they worked for a company. Um, there are things you find out about your spouse and they can sometimes be hurtful and having a good close group of friends that you can cry on their shoulder or go to and say, I can't believe this is happening. Or just when you're scared to have those people that are kind of going to block and tackle for you. It's super important. And of course, people always think it's family. It's not always family. Having at least one or two people that can take those calls for you, make calls for you and help you and guide you to trusted resources, but also keep your information confidential is super important. And finally, Esther, what is something you would like our listeners to take away from this conversation? Probably the most is number one, to stop and breathe. There are so many things that I read from professionals that tell you in those moments following a death, many families kind of go into a panic mode about money and finances and legal and all kinds of things. I really, really, looking back on my own personal loss, wish I would have spent more time with my husband, wish I would have spent more time just being in the room with him. Instead, we were in a rush to get out. It had been a long process. So I always tell people, take the time. Go ahead and sit there and be present in the moment because you'll never get that time back. And years later, you'll regret it. Esther, that's such wonderful advice. If you would like to learn more about Esther and her work, you can visit lossoflifeadvocates.com. Or as always, to hear more from Esther, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Esther. We'll be right back. Do chronic health issues like high blood pressure coincide with chronic stress? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a musician, sound practitioner, and the creator of The Sound Life, a lifestyle app for relaxation and meditation through sound and music. Yes, chronic stress does have a devastating impact on your health, and there's a good reason for that. Let's say something happens and you have to run for your life. When your life is in danger, your body reacts automatically, putting energy into activities like increasing your heart and respiration rates to super oxygenate your blood and increasing your blood pressure to pump more oxygen-rich blood to muscles that spring into action so you can run away. 
Unfortunately, most of us will never have to run for our lives. The problem is that we respond as if we do when faced with chronic stressors like an angry employer, a pushy friend, a sick family member, or even uncertain finances and situations that we can't control. Stress is a silent killer. And if you want to live a long and happy life, you have to learn how to decompress and turn off the physiological stress response. Relaxation is key. Sound meditation is an effective and easy way to slow down and relax so you can unpack your stress, breathe easier, feel calm, and focus on the important stuff, like enjoying time with family and friends. To learn more, go to livingthesoundlife.com. Sound meditation is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Today's guest, Robert Kerbeck, was a struggling actor who found a job listing for a position that consisted of cold-calling businesses. Needing the cash, he took the job. Soon after, he found himself deep in corporate espionage. In his new book, Ruse, Robert bears his wild business secrets. Welcome, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for that great introduction. It almost makes me want to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to admit, You were a guest on the show a few years ago to talk about your book, Malibu Burning, and we got to know each other a little bit then. So when I received information about your new book, as you can imagine, I was shocked and intrigued. So let's talk a little bit about that time in your life. How did all of this begin? Well, as you said there in the opening, uh, I I. I grew up on the East Coast um, in Philadelphia, and my family is fairly well-known automobile dealers. Uh, My great-grandfather sold horse carriages before cars were invented and then uh, switched to selling cars. And so that has just been part of the the, the Kerbeck family DNA. And I was expected to, you know, work at the dealership, take over the dealership. And I did work there briefly after college, and it just wasn't for me. Um, And I kind of struggled with some of the dishonesty around car sales. I really wanted to be an actor, and so I went to New York to make it, and of course I needed a survival job, and who stumbles into a job as a corporate spy, but that's what I did. Well, you know, it's interesting. I really didn't even know jobs like this existed. I mean, call me naive. So what were your job responsibilities? So what the the whole goal was is corporations uh, want to know anything and everything they can about their competition. Right. So we all know that the Russians spy on the Chinese and the Chinese spy on us. But most people either have no idea or don't really have much of an idea how much spying goes on every day in corporate America. And so the the woman who hired me um, had this small firm and our job was on behalf of her clients who were major, major corporations, the largest corporations in America. Um, and our job was to find out whatever they wanted. Um, and remember, when I started doing this um, back in the day, you know, we didn't have things like LinkedIn. As a matter of fact, one time someone said to me uh, that I was LinkedIn before LinkedIn was invented, which was true. So we would find out all of this information about how companies were structured, what their organization looked like, who the top producers were. Because a lot of times what our clients wanted to do is they wanted to uh, poach people, steal people from their competitors. And, of course, everyone in a job interview says, oh, I'm the best one at this firm. I'm the top one on the sales desk. I'm the top one on the trading desk. But what our data and what our information that we stole uh, you know, enabled us to determine was exactly who was where on that ranking, who was number one, who was number two. And as you can imagine, if you were a competitor and you were struggling and you could poach the number two salesperson or the number two trader or the top whatever at your you know, main rival, what a what an amazing thing that was for you. And so that information was very, very valuable. Um, I tell the story that at one point there was a team of traders at Morgan Stanley that made their firm one billion dollars on one trade and this was right before the crash of 2008 and these gentlemen were profiled in the movie the big short the book in the movie the big short by michael lewis and we were tasked i was tasked with determining the names of the eight people on this on this team that did this trade and someone said to me well what was that worth to your client that was going to potentially steal one of these people and i and i told them 
some significant portion of $1 billion, mm-hmm. right? Because if you could get somebody that was on this team that pulled off this trade, theoretically, you could then replicate that at your firm. And now you could have trades that were making your firm that kind of money. And so that's the type of money that is at play with this corporate spying in America on a daily basis. So, Robert, how do you go about getting that type of information? Is it just research? Do you go undercover? Like, how do you obtain what it is that your employer wants? You lie, and then you lie some more, and you keep lying until your lie sounds so good that they are as believable as the truth, and oftentimes they're even more believable than the truth. And that involves a whole series of things. One is a lot of research, you know, and then once you've kind of done a lot of preliminary research, you understand as much as you possibly can about the company, about what's going on at the company, about what's going on in the world that day that you might be able to utilize to your advantage. And then we were trained to call these firms often posing as executives that worked in the firm, um, and perhaps we were off-site, we were jammed up, we needed assistance, and we would find someone that was willing to um, tell us what we needed to know, and oftentimes tell us even more than what we initially were going after. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how many times somebody um, you know, bought into the, the spying that we were doing and just started telling me more and more and more and more. Um, And it was really amazing because these are individuals that are trained not to release this information. And yet we got so good. I got so good at this corporate spying that I could basically get anyone to tell me anything once they were under my spell. So you really honed your acting skills. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You know, and we, you know, we utilize accents. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, remember, these are international conglomerates and they have offices all over the world. So, you know, I could be calling from the Frankfurt office and I could have a German accent. And and, and as crazy as it seems, uh, people would be even more willing to help somebody who was with had an accent and was from a different office in a different location. You know, whatever you need. How can we help? And, and the whole idea that is, uh, I think, part of being in corporate America is that you want to be a good corporate teammate, right? You want to help out the others on your team. Um, and instead of it being, you know, your football team, or your baseball team, it's your, it's your, the team you work for, the corporation you work for, right? Um, and there's something about being a good corporate teammate that we were able to utilize to get people to release information, private information that they should definitely not have been releasing. So you're living in two worlds at that time. On one hand, you were acting and mingling with actors like Paul Newman and George Clooney. And then on the other hand, you're doing this secret work. How were you able to reconcile those two worlds in your mind? That's a great question. You know, when I started out doing the job, it was just temporary. It was supposed to be temporary. Uh, And of course, when I started the job, I didn't realize how uh, deep I was going to go into this world of corporate espionage. It just seemed I was going to do it for three months. I was going to do it for a year. I was going to do it for a year and a half. I had no idea that it was going to become my career because at the time I was working a lot professionally as an actor. I had a career as an actor. And one of the ways I rationalized it, and and again, this is a rationalization, not a justification, is that um, I didn't use any of my rusing techniques, my spying techniques. I didn't use them in my personal life. I I really drew a hard line that I wasn't going to be, you know, lying to uh, friends or family or or whatever. I I really said, you know, when when the day job is done, that's the end of the rusing, right? Um, And I also... Again, rationalized, justified that most of the information I was getting was designed to help people get better jobs. And that's how I just kind of was able to sleep at night is that I was saying, well, you know what, this information that I'm getting, oftentimes the, the end users, the corporations that are hiring us to steal it, they're then calling these people that are on my list to offer them better jobs. And isn't that what America is about? And isn't that what capitalism is about? And that's kind of how I was able to to rationalize uh, the, the spying that I was doing. Well, you know, and listening to you, Robert, I, I know that anyone who chooses to be an actor, that's a unique type of person because you have this creative side. There, there's this desire to create these characters and make them bigger than life. And so did you ever think that maybe you did this because it was really the greatest acting challenge that you could encounter? I mean, maybe it brought you to life? <laughs> well, for sure, um, the acting 
um, enabled us to do the job. The woman that started this firm, she only hired actors. Um, and interestingly enough, at first she only hired women to do the job. She didn't think that men could do the job because so many of the gatekeepers of corporate America at that time were women, right? The, back in the day, uh, most of the assistants were female. Most of the receptionists were female. And when she hired me and one other guy, um, what we learned uh, was that the, um, surprise, surprise, the gatekeepers were much smarter uh, and much more aggressive at preventing the spying that we were doing. And we found that the, the executives, who again at the time were, were uh, predominantly male, they were much more likely to tell us anything we wanted to know. It, you know in the, in the, the parlance of the con, they were, they were far easier marks the men than the women. <laughs> and so it turned out that um, her hiring men was, was a great decision on her part because we ended up really, really taking the corporate espionage to a whole nother level, um, which of course then began to get us you know, deeper and deeper into the, the, the crosshairs of the authorities. Is any of this work illegal? Are there any aspects where people would get arrested for doing it? Well, uh, that was something I worried about my entire life. And, and I'm able to write the book now because the statute of, uh, the statute of limitations for whatever crimes uh, potentially I committed um, has passed, which is why I wrote the book now. Um, and at the time, uh, we were always worried about that. Um, at one point, we did um, speak with an attorney uh, or the woman who hired us uh, spoke with an attorney. And, and no surprise, the attorney said, uh, you know, you are in the dark gray zone. Um, so I would call our activities quasi illegal. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we were pretending to be people we were not and we were obtaining information we had no right to obtain. So I'm pretty sure that if some legal entity wanted to come after us, they certainly would have been able to um, we, we would have gotten in trouble. And we really tried to uh, I always uh, one of the guys that I did this job with for many years, a character in the book, Pax, he described us as brain surgeons. And our job was to go in and get what we needed, only what we needed, extract it in as you know a ginger and quiet fashion as possible so that we didn't cause any other damage, harm, uh, you know, alert anyone, um, you know, set off the alarm bells and we would get in, get the information and get out. And we really tried to do that. And when we when we were trying to get information that uh, people started to get a little hot and bothered about, we would really um, back off um, because we realized uh, we that was how we would really get in trouble is that you would get a firm so upset at the information that was being, um, you know, obtained that they were, you know, uh, furious about um, that that would be something that would inspire a firm to come after us. And we, we really tried hard to not have that happen, but though we did have some close calls and I, and I detail those in the book. So why did you decide to reveal this part of your life? What do you hope to accomplish with this book? That's a great question. I mean, I think that years ago I read an early chapter um and it wasn't even a book. It wasn't even a book idea. I read an early uh, chapter from this project. It wasn't even a project. But whatever it was, I read it at a writer's conference, and people flipped out about it. And they flipped out about this world of corporate spying. Um, no one knew about it. No one knew that, that all these corporations that are uh, you know, uh, on TV every day, and they're talking about how wonderful they are, and they're giving money to, to charities, and their executives are on the boards of, uh, of philanthropic institutions, and yet these same individuals are hiring spies every day to steal information from their competitors. And so there's something about that kind of um, duplicity um, that I thought People were, and I, of course, again, at that writer's conference, people were fascinated and they wanted to learn more about this kind of duplicitous world. And um, so that just made me say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to tell this story. And, and I think it's important um, because we, you know, we, we've been living in a world, there's a lot of duplicity and what is the truth? Um, and how do we determine what the truth is, right? And, you know, we've got people lying to our faces. And yet we we how do we determine that they're lying or faces? You know, it's just really interesting. And I just thought this whole idea of corporate America, two of the individuals that I presented my stolen information directly to 
are today one step from being the CEOs of their respective companies, which are two of the largest financial institutions in the world. Do you think change can come from this awareness? Well, I think that change could come from the awareness. And I think, you know, one thing that these firms would need to do is they would need to, and it would be quite simple, is they would basically say, hey, any firm we use, any uh, uh, corporation company we use that we're that, that is going to supply us with any information cannot use any illegal, quasi-illegal et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, methods to get that information. And so if you are going to be a vendor for this major firm or that major firm, you're going to have to sign this thing so that the corporation has at least made some attempt to let people know that they're they're not going to going to be accepting information that was stolen from their competitors. Um, and right now what these corporations have is they have the proverbial plausible deniability. They can say, oh, my goodness gracious, we had no idea that this individual or that this firm was doing this to get this information. We never would have hired them. We never would have accepted that information. And, of course, I know that's a lie because I presented my information for, for years and years to individuals at this, these firms who knew exactly what I was doing to get the information. So what has the reaction to this book and your story been from your friends in Hollywood? Well, uh, we are um, pretty far down the road for a Ruse television series. And, you know, in general, we've had these amazing shows about kind of the corporate world. You know, so we have a show like Succession. We have a show like Billions. And I'm hoping that Ruse is going to follow in the footsteps of shows like that. And Robert, where can our listeners go to learn more about Ruse or you and your work? Uh, my website is the best place, uh, robertkerbeck.com. Um, there are obviously links to purchase the book wherever you like to purchase your books from. And there also uh, are links to, as you mentioned earlier, my first book, Malibu Burning, um, about the uh, worst wildfire in Los Angeles history, and also some of the other pieces that I'm writing, short stories, essays, um, and in even an occasional play and screenplay. And once again, that's robertkerbeck.com. Robert, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I always enjoy speaking with you. Oh, Joe, my pleasure. And thanks again for your wonderful and continued support. Are you interested in getting your financial house in order in 2021, but don't know where to find someone you trust to help you? Hi, my name's Kate Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. For a lot of people, selecting the best advisor to manage their finances can be a difficult and confusing decision. I'm here to give you a few tips on what you should be looking for in a financial advisor. Number one, trustworthiness. One thing you may want to do is ask your family and friends who they work with and recommend. It's much easier to connect with an advisor who also works with someone that you trust. Number two, has your best interest. You may want to ask the individual if they work in a fiduciary capacity, meaning that they put the client's needs before their own by agreeing to make recommendations with the client's best financial interests in mind. Number three, works with people like you. Finding an advisor who has experience working in your specific industry will help you receive more tailored advice from an advisor that understands your world. For more information on selecting the right advisor, send me an email at ktoby at thefortisagency.com. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a friend's child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed, then blame. 
Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.